Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. When Mr. Blint played his piano downstairs, it all went quiet. That's very perceptive of you, Mrs. Stapleton, and rather unexpected in a G major. The world's falling apart and you talk about G majors? Yes, I've been trying to tell you for some time about my concerto and how the pyramids link up with 17. By the look of things outside, I'd better work out that awkward transition in the last movement. It's quite a tricky exercise to blend fire and water effectively. So going back to the, the, the concept and, and the story, uh, that the playlet, as you called it, it, it as the, the centrepiece of consequences, sandwiched between a wonderful um, two sides, which is like a, a musical overture, mm-hmm. introducing the four elements uh, at war with mankind. Um, and you've got the epilogue, if you like, the, the musical um, climax uh, Blint's tune, the piano concerto. But sandwiched in there is this the, the wonderful playlet with Mr. Blint, played by Peter Cook, um, who lives downstairs uh, from a law office um, owned by Mr. Haig. And there's this lovely um, interaction between Mr. Blint, the eccentric musician, composer, part-time electrician, um, <laughs> hearing what's going on upstairs, trying to ignore it because he's got weightier things on his mind. Which reminds me, I'd better get on with it. Coming up uh, in his lift, through his hole, um, to talk meaninglessly to the four people uh, above. And he talks in riddles that kind of make more sense as, as, uh, as you get to the end of the story. The first thing he says um, on the album, I believe, is that... It was ten o'clock on a wet and windy April morning. The hurricane that destroyed Honolulu was moving north towards Florida. Experts forecast that the weather would remain unpredictable for the next few days. The action takes place on April the 17th, the 17th of the 4th. And those numbers, the 4 and the 17, become central themes in the whole Consequences story, don't they? Um, You've got the four elements, you've got the four characters upstairs in in the law office. Um, And Blint is, is constantly using the number 17, both talking about it directly as it links to his theory for saving mankind, but also in, in a lot of the numbers that are used throughout the album. Um, for example, how long it takes him to, to run and empty a bath. Yes, my bath's about three quarters full now, so I can't hang around here for long. It takes 11 minutes to fill and six minutes to empty. By the time I have to fill it again, it will be 25 and a half minutes past 10. And I like to do a little work around then. Yeah. Uh, those numbers add up to 17. And Lulu's 34, right? That's which, right, yeah. Which he says naturally. Absolutely. Uh, Malcolm Pepperman's code number when he rings Labbrook's, um, the numbers add up to 17. Oh, I never noticed that one. <laughs> Labbrook's, good morning. Gambling is our trade. This is M for Malcolm, P for Pepperman, Malcolm Pepperman, PEC 2528. It wasn't until recently that I even bothered to... to see any kind of historical significance about the number 17. Blint says that 17 is is linked with the pyramids. 
I don't know how. Um, never found out that one. And it's linked with him attempting to save the world. This attic is exactly 17 points southwest of the pyramid, of which you've doubtless seen photographs. But it was interesting looking at at the, the history of the number 17 in the Hindu faith, um, uh, the, the Jewish faith, and, and so on. Um, and also even the followers of Pythagoras. Um, it's got quite a sinister uh, overtone. Like, for example, um, the, the Pythagoreans uh, believed that 17 re represented the triumph of the devil over God. And uh, in the Hebrew faith, 17 is associated with sin. And in some other older civilizations, 17 represents either love and peace or sin versus evil. So there seems to be in multi-cultures um, something about this prime number that seems to be freaking them out. I don't want to die! I don't want to die! That's a really interesting interpretation. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Uh, so either Godley and or Cream and or Peter Cook must have used that deliberately. Yeah. Uh, whether it's chicken and egg. Um, it's interesting to remember that, that Godley and Cream's 60s band was called Group 17. Okay. That really? Yeah. So I didn't even know it existed. So when, the, when was that? In the 60s. I've never heard any of that stuff, if it okay. even exists. Um, so definitely there was some kind of maybe even subconscious thing about 17. Mm. Um, whether they gave that to Peter Cook and he, and he flew with it. I mean, the, the, the philosophy, the science behind Blint's uh, theory of saving the world certainly still makes no sense it's to bollocks, me. It's bollocks, isn't it? It is absolute yeah. bollocks, particularly when he demonstrates it on poor old Malcolm Petherman. <laughs> whose <laughs> who's head stuck in a goldfish bowl yeah, yeah. so that his nose would represent an upside-down pyramid. Just shine a, a torchlight on his trousers, etc. <laughs> yes. It's still funny, though, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. If we take this goldfish bowl to represent the world, and as a rough guideline assume that Mr Pepperman's nose is a pyramid, we can see how my theory works out in practice. Put your nose in the bowl, Mr Pepperman. Delighted. I need to... Now, if we take the air to be sand and the water to be air, you'll notice that only the tip of the nose is theoretically visible, whereas you can see there is a great deal more to Mr Pepperman than his nose. I'd never thought of it that way. It's uncanny. And by a rough calculation, just to shine the torch on his trousers here, would you? This area is the Gobi Desert. And your music does something to the weather because of 17. Well, that's not the totality of the concept, but you're getting warm. You've got little clues scattered around the album that, that link these kind of crazy ideas. And one of my favourites is linking in with the four elements who have um, f fallen into uh, disharmony and violence is that every time any of the characters use the word whole, either referring to the hole in Mr. Haig's floor that Mr. Blint goes in and out of, or when they say, you know, the whole miasma, W-H-O-L-E. Mm -hmm. Every time a character says the word hole, there's this beautiful burst of four-part harmony. And I love... Do you know what that chord is, by the way? No, but I, 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 I've sworn to myself that we will gonna, find we're out. We're going to work it out, aren't we? And yeah. when we do our little 
um, our movement by movement analysis. Paul, yes, we'll 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 uh, we'll give that some more thought. There's no such thing as a 17 chord, is there? But it doesn't go up that high. But we could. No. I have a I have a feeling it's just a it's a it's a straight four note chord, um, and that that chimes brilliantly with with that whole idea of the four elements being at war, and that that blint is going to bring those four elements together into a sense of harmony. Yes, you're right. That, that bringing together works uh, both on the global level and on the personal level, doesn't it? Because they're literally at war, the four people, in that the, the couples are at war in a divorce court, Absolutely. essentially. And Blint is going to try and make those four disparate elements one whole again. Yes. A, a holistic nature, if you like. I checked my tarpaulin and all my equipment and logged them in my diary. My piano still needed tuning. Above me, in my attic, four conflicting forces were about to gather. Perhaps only I knew what the day would hold. That's my interpretation anyway, but I just, it, it really tickles me. and. I think one of the marvellous things about Consequences isn't necessarily the the individual songs as such, although I love those as well. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the the tiny little touches, isn't it? The little the sound effects that they've painstakingly created in the studio. Yeah, it's it's that what we were saying before: repeated listening, and you have to you have to you have to sort of zoom out and see the whole picture, and then it all starts to to fit together. Really, mm. the way they. Uh, the way that Godley and Cream and Peter Cook actually uh, worked on this and just chipped away at it was very uh, luxurious record making. As I understand it, mm. they just inched their way forward through the plot almost in real time. Peter Cook would write some dialogue and then Godley and Cream would write some music uh, and the, the two would play off each other and then they'd move forward like that. Mm. I mean, it was an incredibly... It wasn't just like come in and, and um, read out this dialogue that we've written. It was, it was beautifully intertwined all the way. That's what makes it... One of the things that makes it so, so great, I think. Yeah. But on the way home, I ran into Mrs Cretch from number four and told her about the carrots. She said, that's strange because I was in Jack Harris's shop yesterday and ordered some best mints. Well, he gave me this strange look. And when he came back with the mints, it wasn't in a plastic bag like normal. He gave me this box, all wrapped up in silver paper with a pink ribbon round it. Well, I, I thought nothing of it. But when I got home and opened it up, I found three twigs. Well, it's not like Jack to give you twigs instead of mints. And Hermes, that's my cat, is not a big twig eater. Anyway, I, I turned round and called to Hermes, and he wasn't there. I haven't seen him since. I reckon he knew about the twigs. And he was... Peter Cook was completely invested in this project, but he very rarely talked about it afterwards. Um, there's a couple of things I would like to mention on that score. One is, I think, he was asked to be in the rock and roll swindle and turned that down so he could be in consequences. Right. And that, I think I'm right in saying that, obviously on a, working on a Sex Pistols film would have been far close to, 
closer to the zeitgeist. But he, uh, we think he backed the right horse, though, doing this, you know, 40 years later. Um, the other thing is, I don't know, Sean, did you see towards the end of Cook's life, it might have been one of the last things he did actually was a kind of showcase yeah. um he was on Russell the Cl- Hartley, was it Clive Anderson Clive Anderson he was on the yeah. Clive Anderson show and he uh performed as four characters That's right um so that was a throwback now i don't know whether this four characters thing was a, was it was the first time he did it in consequences or whether he was reusing something he'd previously done obviously he was fantastic at, at doing different um you know acting out in different personas and u- utilizing different voices but whether he'd done this literal split personality thing before consequences i don't know but he did go on to reuse the device several times after because it was so successful absolutely um uh i know exactly i've seen the clip uh, several right. times and he's not quite at the peak of his powers at that no, point it, it's no. still brilliant yeah it definitely harks back to, to what he was doing on consequences with that wonderful characterization hmm. is this it hey is this heaven hey bloody hell <laughs> been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening